Now you should listen to this because this concerns you. This is about an uh, evil genius in love. Evil genius mind. It woke me up from my sleep and I don't like it. No, you're an evil genius is what you are. If this works, you're, you're some kind of a, a evil genius. Honest to God. Hello and welcome to the Evil Genius Chronicles. I am your little podcast buddy, Dave Slusher. Welcome to this show. It's being recorded for December 8th, 2022. Will you get it by then? <laughs> There's no way to predict. <laughs> it's out of my hands, except entirely in my hands. That's the problem. First, the business. The show is not work safe. The show is not kid safe. The show is not color safe. So I would advise that you first test in an uh, inconspicuous area before you uh, apply to everything. The bandwidth is via Cashfly under the kind auspices of Backbeat Media. The theme music is by the gentle readers, the late great gentle readers. They're at gentlereaders.com. I do not speak for my employer or even mention them because the things I say here are uh, I don't know that they're diametrically opposed to the brand, but I am not representing the brand. And in my day job, I kind of represent the brand. So these are two facets of the same dude. I am the not brand safe version of me. That's what you're that's what you got here. Is it confusing enough? Well, let us get to something. I have a uh, uh, a couple of the seasonal songs. I have got to record some shows because I've got two of the traditional seasonal songs to get in before the end of the year. But also, I heard this one on Skull Funk Radio, and I just want something uh, peppy, a little upbeat, a little uh, funky. This is Domenico Plus Two, uh, and the song is, oh, help me with my Portuguese, Te Convide Pro Samba. I don't know. Something like that. That's what the title sounds like as butchered by me. Here's what the song sounds like.
All right. Domenico plus two with te convide prosamba or something like that. <laughs> when I went to, I heard this on School Funk Radio. I went to look for the song. Um, they have a song with the same title um, in Amazon Music, credited to Adriana Calcanjora, something like that. And it is the same song, but it's a different. It's the same tune. It's a different arrangement. It's more guitar heavy. It doesn't have that organ in it. It's got a. It is recognizably the same, but it's amazing how different small changes in it make. And I actually like this version better. So uh, I went to look for something a little more, uh, I don't know what you call it. There's something from, oh, that mid-90s to maybe the mid-aughts that there was that kind of Medeski Martin and Wood kind of funky organ resurgence. Uh, there was a local band in Lafayette, Louisiana that a kid I worked with in the computer lab was in called Fusebox. And they were very much like a jazz rock or, and he played the organ in it, and it, it, was, it sounded fantastic. I loved that so much. And like a super funky bassist, and he was a super funky like jazz electric pianist. And uh, I love that kind of sound. Uh, so anyway, that was that. Now let us get to what 36 plus 3 people think is the absolute pinnacle of this show. And that is the reading. following people went to bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash E-G-C, and they pledged, or they tried to pledge, to support this show, and some of them, Patreon, fucked them. But here we go. The following people uh, are keeping the lights on. Thank you, Derek Coward, Adam Rittenauer, Ken Kennedy, Paul Fisher, Arhuli, Robert Harvey, Paul Smith, Andrew Heron, Grant Bachoco, Tony Ewing, Craig Stepp, Shannon Nelson, Charlotte Kennedy, Leah the Enigmagic, Angela Lee, Chuck Tomasi, Stuart Maxwell, Michael Butler, Bruce Lerner, Skeeter Murphy, Robert Gibson, Len Edgerly, Melissa A. Bartell, Andrew Howe, Michael Street, Neil Forker, Ndaiko, Kevin Freedy, Brian Springer, Tim Shaw, Rob Usden, John Gehring, Wayne Pittenger, Brian Jones, Joe Pollock, Jeff Dangle, J.P. Shippard. Thank you, one and all. And also, our three <laughs> lost souls, our three uh, dangling threads, uh, Steve Holden, Nutty Nukchas, and Eric Peterson. Who knows when, if or when, that will ever be resolved. Thanks a lot, Patreon. But thank you for uh, supporting and keeping it going. And now, let us kill the music. I tried to say it dramatic there. Did it work? <laughs> it may be apparent to some of y'all that listen to the show. It was not apparent to me until this morning that part of what uh, influences me in this show, bearing in mind I've done six hundred over 600 of these sons of bitches, it only occurred to me the heavy Garrison Keeler influence I have on this show. Literally never once thought about it. Even though when I tell you the story of proto-podcasting, um, when I was burning CDs and walking around with my iRiver listening to them, when I was basically taking internet streamed radio, saving them to CD, and I'd get, I forget what it was, like 12 hours of audio on a CD, and I would carry that MP3 CD, and then like every CD would be about like a day. I listened to them on the train in Chicago, and I listened to them in Atlanta, and uh, uh, every week... Um, Prairie Home Companion was one of those, and you know the Garrison Keeler Woebegone monologue was absolutely. I listened to that every week, and uh, 
never occurred to me that I'm kind of Garrison Keillor-y. And, I st- and what made me think about that is I started to say something like, well, it's been a tough week. And I realized the one of the things, the absolute best things about that was the 100% uh, uh, confidence that the show would that the monologue would start the same way. Well, it's been a quiet week, and like, well, we'll be gone. Well, it's been tough around here. Well, it's been a hard week. It's kind of always, always the same because it has been a hard week. I said last show that uh, the next show would be a feedback show. It, this won't be it. You know why? Because I recorded that show on a Sunday. I got it produced on a Thursday. <laughs> Posted to the patrons on Friday and the public on Saturday, and now it's Sunday and I'm recording another show. So the live show has been up to the public like 14 hours at this point. It's like, Jesus. So (laughs) the next show will be the feedback show, not this show. But it's been a tough week. And why has it been a tough week? For the indefinite uh, future and for the recent past, every week's a tough week. I have days in my calendar, on my work calendar. Uh, my, that's visible to my uh, co-workers. I just call it sandwich generation. I'm going to be out of the office because of sandwich generation. I don't know what I'm doing, but I know I will either be going to a dialysis clinic or going to a middle school or something. But there, there's something. I don't know what, I can't tell you what it is, but I know some fucked up thing will be happening and I will have to be out of the office. And it's kind of how it is. I do <sighs> I guess we don't need specifics on anything, but we're at that point where literally everybody <laughs> needs something from us. And when you're the net exporter of help of all kinds, it's, it is exhausting. It's just sometimes you just want to, uh, you know, my, my wife had the point where she was at the hospital, at the checkout of the hospital with a parent and the phone is ringing from her mother in Alabama at the checkout of a hospital who needs something. It's like, I can't do all that at once. That was her. And I've been in a similar situations where I, the, all you people that need help and all, which is why one of those reasons why it makes me so insane when I need help and I don't get it is, and this happens in personal life. This happens in corporate life is that pretty much always I'm in a position either by my direct job role I often have a job role where my job is to be patient and helpful, um, kind of, you know, not unlike a customer support person, but, you know, that same mindset, if not that same thing, where it's my job to be patient. And even if you ask a dumb question, I, I have to help you exactly the same as if it was the smartest question, because my job is to make you successful. And uh, I will tell you, sometimes that makes you want to, you got to be calm and professional. And then you hang up and you double check and you triple check and you make sure you're off and you're like, mother fucker, what is going on? And you just wait till you're off by yourself and then you scream and you lose your shit and you punch a pillow and you just, that happens. That totally happens. But the, uh, I just, so the fact that I recorded on a, a, a Sunday and just got the, got the mojo to put it together on Thursday. That's not, that's not crazy. (laughs) I'm trying to avoid it, but, oh, Jesus Christ. That's, that is what life is. (sighs) I guess, 
you know, it's one of those things where we're just at that point. I, we're getting old enough where we're beginning to have the stuff, and any living parents are old enough that they're, you know, somewhere between needing lots of help and almost helpless. And uh, kids are, you know, at least not toddler. They're not toddling around. If we had a toddler at this point, I think life would be unbearable. <laughs> but <laughs> we get a middle schooler, which has, uh, you know, its own challenges, which. Uh, a lot of which involve driving. <laughs> at least, at least it's straightforward. At least it's understandable. So that's that's life. Um, you know, it's so common. Like the, I heard a, a lot about this when I was at Podcast Movement in March. Um, I saw lots of banners and and stuff about like these true crime shows. Like my favorite murder, I think, was kind of who. Uh, I've never once listened to that. However, um, I do listen to Karen Gilgariff on Do You Need a Ride, the comedy podcast. Um, and I can tell you, I'm never going to listen to My Favorite Murder or any of that ilk. I don't like that ilk. And whether or not it's the biggest thing, like Serial, I guess, was in that. I don't, I've never listened to Serial. I never gave one shit about Serial the show or Serial the phenomenon. I do remember... <laughs> I was one of those people when they said that Serial had a million listeners. Like, no fucking way. This thing I've never heard of has a million listeners. They had a million listeners. I just, partly, it is a specific uh, blind spot that I have. And I sat down and tried to figure out why don't I care about true crime? I mean, people seem to love it. Also, on uh, Tig and Cheryl True Story, a lot of the documentaries they cover are uh, true crime documentaries, like that staircase documentary about the dude in uh, where he was in Raleigh, right? So he's reasonably, uh, you know, in a place I go to, in a place I care about. Um, and I had no interest in this thing about this guy accused of murdering his wife who fell down a staircase, and all these things. And the what's the wrestler dude? I don't care about any of them. I just don't care about any true crime, anything. But why? Why don't I care about true crime? I care about fake crime. <laughs> I'm enjoying the box. I think part of it is I want my crime to be as fake as possible. Um, I don't want it to be, uh, you know, I don't want it to have actually happened. But uh, it occurred to me a couple days ago, maybe maybe what I don't like is that it's basically trafficking in human misery, right? It's, it's there is uh, human misery, <laughs> Some of which I experience firsthand, some of which I view kind of third party. But, uh, you know, I have eyes on human misery. Uh, certainly when I was traveling in India, there was, uh, you know, you'd see shocking things. You know, as I'm going, leaving the nice airport and going to the nice hotel in between, I would see some shocking things. You know, like it, 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 none of it was ever firsthand. Like, uh, but like you just drive by and you think, oh my God, oh my God, look at that. And, it, you know, just kind of. Like, you know, what am I going to do? Save the 10,000 impoverished people I saw between here and there? I was like, what am I going to do other than kind of feel vaguely guilty? And that's that's what it feels like. It's like somewhere somebody is harmed or dies and something happens and then I'm going to watch it for entertainment? I don't know. But alternately, I mean, I watched show like Bound, the movie Bound. Uh, you know, there's a, it's like a thrill ride and people die in it and the Sopranos, people die in it. And, you know, uh, I found entertainment in that. Why is that different? I don't, maybe I've talked myself back into not understanding. I don't know. Maybe I like just knowing that it's not real, but I wonder if, you know, a few weeks ago, a few shows ago, I mentioned that I 
tried to do a rewatch of Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and I could not make it more than two episodes. Not because it wasn't funny, but because it was just that whole cringy thing. I realized I just have no taste for it. Um, when I was watching WandaVision, you know, and they did the like I Love Lucy style sitcom, and then they did the kind of uh, Bewitched style. You know, they moved through like 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, and when they got to the modern family, where people were like looking at the camera and you know all that stuff, and I, I, I actually kind of hated that one because I could see that you know they did the, like the Malcolm in the Middle '90s one, and then they did the Modern Family one, and it just irritated me so bad. I realized, oh, I, I hate those tropes. I hate a lot of those tropes and uh, cringy stuff. I here as an experiment, I should go back and watch Faulty Towers. And see, does Faulty Towers funny to me, or can I do I no longer even have a taste for that? Because that's what was the the cringy comedy that I would say that I could always go to, that I knew that I always uh, you know found endearing, engaging. Um, I've never like like the British Office or r- literally anything Ricky Gervais is in. I hate that guy. I can't look at his fa- fat face or hear his fat voice. He makes me angry when he's on screen. When he like, there's just nothing. I, I've never enjoyed one second of him on anything. When he had that podcast, I hated his podcast. Um, I listened to a couple episodes out of. I, I listened to one episode out of curiosity. I hate listened to, to maybe two, one or two more. But it was unlistenable, I thought. And at the same time, because, you know, in the early days of podcasting, because he had a name, he was, you know, the most downloaded podcast in whatever that was, 2005, you know. But it was it was awful. It was truly, truly awful, I thought. And a lot of that was cringy because they were making fun of that idiot dude that they had who didn't know anything. <sighs> so what is it? I don't know. Is it just kind of vague, you know, I... <laughs> Last show, I kind of uh, you know detailed my separation from uh, the political process. Uh, I will say that um, I sort of neglected to say this at the time. I did do the one thing that feels um, effective: vote forward. And I believe is it spelled out. I don't know. The link will be in the show notes at evilgeniuschronicles.org. You go to vote forward, and when there's uh, races that matter. Um, you can adopt the voters and states and just write them letters. And they say specifically, do not say anything about any specific candidate. Just urge them to vote. That's all. Now, these names ain't picked out of a hat. You know, there's, you know, all. No, I don't know of any get out the vote effort that is 100% completely bipartisan, right? <laughs> when you get out the vote, you're trying to get out your vote, right? That's kind of the way the system works here in America. I don't know if it works the same worldwide. But vote forward, at the very least, does not feel like impotent rage. I don't know how effective it is, but I wrote 10 letters to the Senate runoff in uh, Georgia. And in the letter, I said, you know, I, I listed the counties in Georgia, the five counties in Georgia that I've lived in. And I said, you know, Georgia matters to me. Please get out and vote because that's what makes a place special is when uh, everyone's involved. That's basically the letter that I wrote these 10 people. And uh, it feels like something, as opposed to nothing, as opposed to watching, uh, you know, as opposed to watching balls and strikes and watching a needle move up or down or tick up or down. or watch a pull number move slightly. It's like, now, one of the things um, that I don't know if it's part of the disconnection. I don't know if it's a, it has a common cause. I don't know if it's cause and effect or how it relates. 
But it feels to me, and particularly my side of the fence does this way more, um, because they care way more, I think. But they are all about the you person. You are personally responsible for this thing. You know, if you do a thing, you are the person. If you use a plastic straw, you're, you killed the turtle. You, turtle killer, with your latte, sucking your ice latte through a straw, you killed the turtle. You know, that, it's like, yes, but, I mean, the straws are for sale. So I'm a bad person. That's the thing that gets me, is that I, uh, one individual hump, just trying to live my stupid life in peace. I'm the bad guy because I exercise an option that is cheap, free, easily available, legal. What? Why am I? Why am I bad? That's the part that gets me. I don't know that I accept that I am. Uh, I don't know that I accept that. I think I might be turning against that, and I think that's kind of an uncompelling way to change minds. One of the things I hear is, uh, "Don't use the self checkout." Uh, option because you're taking jobs away from people. Well, that's an easy thing to say. <laughs> Have you ever been in a Walmart at 7 p.m. needing to get something? <laughs> if you can self-check out, I would... <laughs> at the If I had a high-minded political um, <laughs> ideal associated with this, and this has literally happened. I was running to the thing to get... Uh, gelato. My kid wanted gelato, and I'm in Walmart getting the gelato, watching it melt bit by bit, feeling it getting softer as I cannot check out of this fucking Walmart <laughs> that I'm in. It's like, Jesus Christ. Every uh, the self-checkout is backed up. The, the people at Walmart, you will see this if you look at the self-checkout. There will somebody, and they will walk up. They will have a grocery cart full over the brim, and they will take that to the self-checkout. It's like, dudes, you're going to go one-tenth of the speed of the professional checker outer. <sighs> I really wish the self-checkout was for, you know, it was like express, basically express line rules. 10 items or less. 20 items or less. Don't take a giant fucking cart. It's, you're just even slower than you would be otherwise. But also, every human checkout lane is just spilling out into the aisles. You know, because Walmart, I understand Walmart don't want to pay employees. But whether or not I use the self-checkout, how, uh, I mean, that's been the Walmart business model as long as, they've been around is if you can avoid paying a human, don't pay a human. So my use of the, I don't know that my use of the, the amount of needle move of whether I self check out or whether I go to uh, stand in the really, really long line and uh, go, I don't know. I just don't know. The idea. uh, All right. What the hell was I saying? All right. I'm going to stop on that. All right, we're going to stop the previous thought. There has been a mild interruption, and uh, I don't know if the show can continue, because we've got, a long time ago, Alan Havey on his uh, Night After Night show used to do this thing where they have audience of one, where they had one chair sitting beside it, and they would get a listener, and they would put one listener in there. And so, it's not that they had no studio audience, they had a one-person studio audience every show. Sort of what I have right now. So... We'll see if this is even continuable. We will we will make an effort. Somewhere on the um, on the advancing podcasting Discord, Evo Terra had made some comment about the um, the controversy at Podcast Movement in Dallas in August, 
And I just sent him a little message that said, uh, thanks to my media lockdown, I have zero idea what you're talking about. I don't know what this controversy is. I happened to accidentally run across something about, I know it involves Ben Shapiro. Now, I don't know who Ben Shapiro is. I suspect he might be some form of right-wing fuckwit, but I don't know. And uh, I also don't really care. And there's something to do with him being invited to speak and then being uninvited or reinvited. I don't know what the controversy is. I don't really much care. But it just made me really happy that the entire controversy rose and fell. And I never heard of it, didn't know anything about it. I sort of wish I still didn't know anything about it. But the fact that um, I didn't know who the dude is, this tells me Media Lockdown is uh, successful and shall continue. With that, I'm going to take a little pause and enjoy a fine sip. Mm. Oh, that's good. Brewed it earlier this morning. Still kind of hot. One more sip. Oh, that's good. All right. It occurs to me that I have this um, hypocritical um, window of how I approach both um, self-deprecation and both kind of self-puffery. Because for the longest time, like around Create South, um, it used to frustrate me because we had a bunch of women that were involved, like an organization or, you know, it was like an early bloggery tech, you know, tech conference um, that we had in Myrtle Beach. It was the first one of its kind in South Carolina because we cared. We put the thing together and we had these extremely capable women and they would always be so self-deprecating and they would be so kind of dismissive. Oh, I just did a little thing. I was like, if I did that thing. I would throw myself a parade. <laughs> like, and I tried to, uh, I don't know if it was, I don't know if I was mansplaining at the time, but I was trying to like tell them, I really think you should not be so self-deprecating. I think you should really um, you amp this up because you're doing unbelievably good things here. So uh, I used to find that frustrating that they were so deferential and that they were so, soft-pedaling their own accomplishments. When I thought their accomplishments deserved every bit of, uh, uh, every bit of you know, promotion that they could get. At the same time, there's a certain kind of uh, thing where, and it happens in podcasts, it certainly happens in TV shows and comedians and anybody who gets a following that gets the whole, oh, you know, oh, you're with me kind of thing. And you know what? I hate that. <laughs> So <laughs> that whole, you know, like absolutely uh, in WTF and Mark Marin, he absolutely has that whole, oh, you guys know, you're you loyal fans. know, you're with me. It's like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so <laughs> having listened to uh, having listened to the entirety of uh, Oz nine and old gods of Appalachia, I can tell you that both of those shows uh, as they grew and got a following, I can hear because I listened to the entirety of, I think what's maybe in Oz and I was maybe four years. You know, I listened to it in like four months or five months and a uh, similar time compression on old gods of Appalachia. And they went from, you know, just doing a thing to having an audience to having like a loyal fan audience and you can hear it uh, affect them. And I, in neither case did I think it helped the proceedings, but like in old gods of Appalachia, you know, he really definitely feels like he's playing to the crowd at this point. And it's hypocritical because it really and truly, they're doing the thing that I was telling my friends at Create South to do. So why do I not like it uh, when they do it? And why did I not 
like the soft playing when it's the other people. And I think here's the hypocritical part is I think what I want is the amount of self-promotion somebody does. I want it to exactly match my regard for the property, which is if I'm into it, I want them to promote it. And if I'm less into it, I want them to promote it less. I want it to be uh, exactly in harmony with how I feel about it. So maybe I, it occurs to me that maybe my feelings on that don't um, don't really matter that much because like maybe maybe you should just do what you're going to do and not worry about me. Maybe or maybe literally everyone already does that. <laughs> but it's like, why does it bug me when these people with a following play to their following? I mean, isn't that what you do? Isn't that what you're supposed to do? But it just kind of bugs me. And it bugs me when I don't think the show is that great. And they do that. That's that's what gets me is, I mean, I guess, I mean, I know uh, we have lots of evidence, wildly successful, uh, popular shows with huge listenership. I can't make it five minutes into them. I fucking hate them. I think they're awful. That's not, not that they're awful. They're not for me. That is one of the beauties of the medium is, you know, uh, in my uh, Hall of Fame acceptance speech, I talked about the show Scotch and Comics. Never had. I'm listenership in the three digits, low three digits, but it was for me. Right? Every show is not for everybody, and even the giant big shows are not for everybody. And uh, I listened. I went went back and listened to my first WTF in I don't know two or three or four years, uh, just to listen to the Neil Gaiman interview, and I realized, wow, I am totally listening to this despite the fact that Mar- like at in the early days, Marin was a draw for me, uh, and now he's an absolute detraction. It's like, oh, I will listen to someone despite the fact that I have to listen to some of Marin to get to the person I'm interested in. So anyway, so I mentioned Create South, this thing we did. And when was the first one we did? 2007, perhaps? It ran 2007 through maybe 2012. I had a Maybe 2013. There was a toddler at the last one. So it would have been in the early 2010s. Um, and we were absolutely kind of in that early, it wasn't early blogger, but it was like early social media, early kind of um, early podcasting for sure, you know, mid 2000s. And it felt like, it felt like there was something that could be done here. It felt like there was work that could be done and we wanted to be a part of it and we wanted to help kind of steer the direction it went. And I did definitely enjoy that time and I kind of missed that time. There was a even before that, there was a group we called Uplifter. And we would have these Uplifter meetings. I found one of my flyers. We hung them at uh, Coastal Carolina University. And it was just it was a very similar idea to what became Create South, which is get together people who are interested in doing things and find out what you can teach each other and find out what you can learn from each other. And at Create South, I always had this idea that never worked. I always wanted to have some kind of like iconography on the name tag that said, here's what I want to learn and here's what I can teach so that people could like glance at people's name tags and say, hey, I need to know about WordPress. I need to know about podcasting. I need, I can tell you about accounting, <laughs> you know, and we used to do one of the greatest things from create South um, was the one minute pitch session where people walk up to the front 
and they had 60 seconds to pitch their project. And I used to tell the, after a while, we had to say, do not say that there's no, you have no money to offer everybody. That's a given. Only say anything if you have money, because don't burn 10 or 15 of your 60 seconds saying you have no money. Literally, no one has any money to put on these projects. The whole reason that came about was because the first time we did this, it was lunchtime and the food wasn't going to be ready for 15 minutes. And I'm standing up as the MC of this event. And I have just been told that everybody's hungry and everybody's ready for lunch. And the food's not going to be ready for 15 more minutes. So what are we going to do? We have nothing. And that's that um, that one-minute pitch session was born out of desperation in that moment. It's like, what in the hell can I do to occupy 15 minutes? I don't know. And, and that that's where the idea came from. There was, it was not – it had 10 seconds of forethought. It probably had one second of forethought before we started the project because there was no time. That was just the situation. And it turned out to be great. But that whole feeling in the air, it's hard to explain. You know, it's one of those things. I'm, I, I'm never going to understand what it was like to be in, you know, Haight-Ashbury in 1967, right? That's just not going to happen. You can tell, be told about it, but you won't explain the feeling. And this, you know, any move or CBGBs in 1976 or 77, you know, that's, there's going to be a feeling that you just can understand but not recapture and that mid-2000s kind of techno optimism is one of those things it was it was a moment it had come it is gone it is way gone now what has been making me think about that is as i clear shit out of my uh living space i found my run of make magazine and i was a absolute charter subscriber i have the 13 first 13 issues in paper there may be a 14th. I have 13 together in one spot. And I do remember that feeling of getting those make magazines and reading about these projects and, you know, taking the servo motor out of an old printer and making a robot out of it and, you know, all these things. You know, that very kind of Tim O'Reilly, uh, technocratic, bottom-up technocrat uh, feeling. But here's the thing. Even as much as I would say that I enjoyed it, uh, I'm going to tell you of the, it's very much like my rep, my relationship to those make magazines is a lot like my relationship to Dungeons and Dragons. I read the stuff. I didn't do the thing very much. <laughs> I did so much more reading of the monster manual than ever playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I knew a lot. I read a lot of the lore. I read all the rule books. I played, you know, a couple sessions in my life. It's the same thing. I read uh, a bunch of Make Magazine. I built exactly zero of the projects. I never, ever built one of the, the projects. Here's the other thing. I looked at those 13, for the first 13 Make Magazines that I have. Seven of them, still in the plastic bag. Seven of 13, still in the plastic bag. So how, how into it can I say I was? Even this thing that I have fond memories for, that I say matter to me. I didn't even open. Over half of them were never even actually opened. They're still in the bag. Now they're a uh, oh I don't know. Let's say five pounds of paper. That is a decision. It's like God damn it. <laughs> Do I throw them in the recycling? That's absolutely an option. Do I try to find a home for them? That's absolutely an option. Do I keep them? That's absolutely an option. But it's a decision, and I don't want to. Make a decision. Decision fatigue is so real. And we absolutely see this. We've been cleaning out various parts of uh, this house. Um, 
I told on a re, I think the last show I talked about how my office is now a mess because my garage is clean and we're basically moving shit back and forth. And unless you have a net reduction, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't ever change. And, uh, dealing with my mom's stuff, there's so many decisions. Like every item is a decision. Keep, throw, send to somebody else. What do I do with this thing? And those decisions, like the, the summation, the bulk weight of those decisions, they feel like, like when it's done, I would rather have been digging ditches for the same amount of time than trying to figure out what to do with dead people's shit. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just taxing. And I would, you know, the, like the carrying of the boxes was way, way more pleasant than the dealing with the boxes. I wish I could just walk the boxes around for an hour and then they just magically get handled. That would be fine with me. It's dealing with the stuff. It's dealing with the decisions. I just, I just can't deal with it. All right, I'm going to close off uh, on this. Um, I had been listening to Unchained, the cryptocurrency podcast. Laura Shin hosted it. As she's fond of saying in her intro, she was the first mainstream reporter to cover crypto uh, when she worked for Forbes. And I listened to it because it would teach me a little about crypto. And I'm interested in crypto. Um, and it was one of the, although it still was kind of breathless at times, it was one of the less breathless sources. Because it's very hard to find, um, it's very hard to find dispassionate crypto uh, information. Mostly it's like true believers saying, uh, Get on the train or get out. Remember a long time ago, if you have listened to, um, uh, I am completely blanking on the Leo Laporte. <laughs> what the hell is Leo, Leo Laporte's show? It's a big popular show. Uh, Twit. He named his whole network after it, Twit. The, the episode, the last one I ever listened to was where they had um, Robert Scoble was on talking about uh, VR and AR. And this was like 10 years ago. And he was saying how, I remember Mike Vizar. No, no, no. It was not Twit. Never Scratch all that. It was uh, the Gilmore gang. And uh, Steve Gilmore was on. He had Mike Vizard and Robert Scoble. And Scoble was in one of his uh, jobs advocating for VR. Uh, you know, this was sl- slightly after his Google Glass period. And Mike Vizard, and this is, I'm going to say eight or nine years ago, Mike Vizard made the statement, I think this VR stuff will come around, but it will take longer than you're saying. It'll probably take five years. And Scoble melted down, went ballistic. He's like, you don't know anything you're talking about. You got to get on this train. It's important. But By the way, that train never arrived. It still never arrived. But Scoble was so sure that not only he's so sure that it was happening and happening now, that somebody who agreed with him but thought the timetable was long was the same as an enemy. And it feels to me like some of the crypto people have kind of that same mentality. Even if you're interested in what they're doing, if you don't believe crypto is absolutely the wave of the future, then you're the enemy. And I don't, I don't know, man. I just don't know. But the I wrote down the exact statement that made me unsubscribe from the Unchained podcast. But is that one of the guests was... There's this current. I was going to say sub undercurrent, but it's not an undercurrent. It's the overcurrent of crypto. Crypto people love crypto because they hate fiat currency, and they think that the fact that governments can just create money is ludicrous. And they like uh, crypto because they think, 
well, government shouldn't create money. It's a bunch of fucking nerds in their <laughs> in their server farms that should create money <laughs> because that's way, 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 way better. But this this is the statement: fiat currencies can fiat currency creators can just create money whenever they want, and that's unfair. And I heard that statement, and I'm like, if this is what people, if this is what this world thinks, and this is kind of like the mainstream idea on this podcast, I don't care what they think <laughs> because what this idea that um, governments with fiat currencies shouldn't create money, like that they're wrong to create money. I don't understand even how they think the world works because think that there was a time in the U S economy where there were exactly $1 trillion in circulation. Like that was the entirety of the economy. Um, I don't know what the entirety of the economy is now. Let's just guess. Let's say it's, $75 $75 trillion. Okay. So there was a point in time where it was $1 trillion and now it's 75. Where did those other $74 trillion come from? <sighs> Let's just sit and try to think about it. It's like the whole notion, uh, the whole tax, the, 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 the whole notion that the government gets its money to spend by taxing. It's like, so they taxed $74 trillion that didn't exist to make it exist. They tax you uh, they they double the size of the economy by taxing you so much that the economy doubles. I mean, how how do you if you hate fiat currency and you hate the governments issue it, uh, you know, like this? How do you suppose economies grow? Like, what is it you think that happens when an economy grows? Why? Uh, wh- what do you th- <laughs> like? What do you think this mechanism is? If this is not it, right? Literally, the only way. Um, the amount of money in circulation ever increases is because the government spent more of it. That's what makes money. That's how money happens, right? Bear in mind, too, I am a uh, not a scholar in this. I'm not an economist. I'm a dude who listens to the MMT podcast. I came up with the name. All right, say it. The Bitcoin bitches. Okay, there you go. Editorial uh, comment recorded. <laughs> but... I mean, I fundamentally disagree with that notion. And the people who the people are who are so right or die that you must be with us. And and uh, crypto people definitely have that um, they have that dynamic, which is if you are not fully on board, full one hundred percent supporter, you are no different than an enemy. You might as well be, uh, you know, if you're ninety seven percent on board with me. You're a hundred percent against me, like that's no good, and that's not. I mean, my life has more nuance than that. There's nothing I'm so ideological about that I'm gonna care that much. Even the things I care about, I don't care that much about. And if that's, I mean, if crypto people, and I, I'm making a very broad generalization because I absolutely heard. Um, different kinds of voices. I will say that that kind of voice, there are people who, you know, um, uh, were closer to my line of thinking, people who say that, you know, this um, froth is, uh, you know, unsustainable. And they were saying that like a year ago. Um, but but the, I'm going to say just, it feels like the majority of voices are the, you know, anti-fiat currency. Bitcoin is great because uh, it's finite. It's deflationary. If you research a little bit into deflation, deflation 
ain't good. Deflation, worse than inflation. So the idea that a deflationary currency is great is like a really naive understanding of like how these money systems work. It's just, I don't know. Bearing in mind that my, my understanding is not even to the standard of naive. It just, so I'm not claiming to be an expert. I'm not, I'm just claiming that this seems wrong to me. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know enough to say why, but it sure feels to me like that's the wrong, uh, that's the wrong attitude to have. And I will say, you know, two years ago, uh, when I first started uh, paying attention to crypto, when I first bought my first crypto, people were talking about how great it was that Bitcoin is not correlated to the stock market. It's not. It's a hedge against inflation. It's you know, it's its own thing. It's it's an inflationary asset, not a deflationary asset. Which is why today you can buy more with your Bitcoin than you could two years ago, right? I mean, that's how it works. <laughs> if Bitcoin should be have more purchasing power. Uh, than say the an equivalent amount in the S and P five hundred, right? Cricket, 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 cricket. So anyway, I don't know. I don't know that much about what I'm talking about, and I don't want to uh, represent myself as an expert. I'm absolutely the opposite of an expert. And by the way, um, if you want to um, straighten me out, next show, I still want it to be a feedback show. It could be excoriating me. <laughs> for my stupidity on this topic. Dave at EvilGeniusChronicles.org. That's where you excoriate me. Dave at EvilGeniusChronicles.org. On this, on any topic, on organization, on dealing with aging uh, relatives, um, let me uh, just mention one more time the um, Dying Kindness podcast, Sienna Stewart. Um, I met her in LA in uh, March, and I have listened up to the backlog, and I'm current on her show, and uh, all about either prepping yourself to die or prepping others to die. And uh, that's uh, sadly timely <laughs> in our house. So look at the evilgeniuschronicles.org. I'll have a link to Dying Kindness and all the other stuff. Everything I can remember to find a link for and put in there will be at evilgeniuschronicles.org. Thank you for listening. And I will catch you again next time right here. But do not forget that I love you. Bye. Are you going to make me really self-conscious now? Are you just going to sit there and watch? Am I going to have a one-person audience? Are you recording your podcast? Yes, I am. It just made me very happy that this entire thing rose, fall, fell. It just made me really happy. It just <sighs> when that's over, if we're still alive, I'll clean my own fucking mess up.